So how would you begin to summarize the entire Bible in a single sentence? Well, Jesus did that. In the book of Mark, chapter 12 and verse 30, he summarized the entire Old Testament, and we can carry this truth right into where we live right now. In Mark 12, 30, he says, And you shall love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And I didn't add on the second, but the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the verse that's become the, kind of the foundational base for our study of align, because what are we seeking to do? It's to align our hearts and our lives, our minds, our strength, everything that is in our being, we want to be aligned unto the Lord. I think about what it, how easy it is to get out of alignment. I mentioned last week the one degree rule, that how simple, one simple degree can take you off course by so far. Reminded me of a story I heard one time about John F. Kennedy Jr., that uh, in July 16th, 1999, took off and was flying towards Martha's Vineyard and uh, in his personal aircraft. He's had his wife and his sister-in-law in the plane with him. But aviation uh, experts would say that he had an experience of spatial disorientation. He was, a, as a pilot, a private aircraft pilot, he could see and do a visual on the ground, and VFR is the term for it, is visual flight. So he could read what's happening on the ground in order to know his elevation and where he's at and how to land and do all that, but not from instruments. And apparently there was some level of fog or something that caused him to become disoriented, not enough that would make it an illegal flight for him, but enough to be disoriented. And the reality is, is when your attitude gets off, which is the term, and we got pilots in here, so I'm, I'm operating way above my pay grade. They're like, Dwayne's, stay in your lane, preach the Bible. But if you had any questions, I see Colton back there. If you've got questions about what I'm saying here, he'll help you out. But anyway, attitude is when your wings are at the right pitch. Okay, if you do this thing, you're, it's going to end up bad for you. See, even if you get slightly off in your attitude, then it will ultimately affect your altitude. Well, that's what happened, sadly, for JFK Jr., is his attitude got off because of disorientation, and you, you begin to perceive you're flying straight, but you're actually not. There's something built into us that kind of feels like we need to correct it. And I've done this once. I, I flew with a guy in a personal aircraft, and he said, Dwayne, I want you to fly. And we got into clouds, and he, he wanted me to try all this thing out. And if I wasn't looking at that instrument panel to know how my wings were pitched side to side, there was something in me that always wanted to correct and pull one way or the other to correct the plane, but I didn't need to do that. And, and so had it been left alone, you do this long enough, eventually you just steer right into the ground or in JFK Jr.'s case, right into the ocean. Why do I say that? Because it takes so little to get out of alignment. Sometimes we have perceptions we're in alignment, but maybe we're not. So how do you know? Well, that's what this whole study is about, is how do we get our, our wings pitched where we're flying on the same course as God. And we're running in the same degree perfectly with the Lord. Last week we talked about loving God with all of our heart and recognizing the epicenter of the heart. And that's the belief spot because when the Lord is on the throne of my heart and that what happens in that moment is I surrender to the Holy Spirit of God and this love of God that passes all understanding now is what guides my life. But when I get off in the heart, it's because I'm starting to fulfill my own appetites, which takes really place at the soulish level. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today is loving God with all of our soul because how we love in the soul, it does impact our heart, but our heart impacts our soul. You can't like separate all these things out and they all mix together. But it's helpful to know if Jesus calls out different terms to love the God, love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and your strength. Those are not the same words. So we can't translate them and say, well, it all means the same thing effectively. No, but they all are significant. So today, what does it mean to love with our soul? Well, the word soul is something we use often in our culture. We talk about soul music, okay? We know what that looks like. Or you have a soul mate when you get married. They talk about firms, uh, the, the organization, a sports team, is so-and-so is the soul, heart and soul of this organization or the team. If you're ever out and you're, you're lost, you probably ought to paint SOS on the ground. What? Save our soul, save our ship, but it's supposed to be save our soul. Even this last week when tragedies take place, it's counted as how many souls died in that tragedy. We speak about the depth of soul, a troubled soul, a lost soul. You can even sell your soul. We often will say, may God rest his soul. What do we mean by all that? What are we talking about here? Well, we know this, that God breathed the breath of life into mankind. And man became a living soul. Well, how could that be? It's because God has a soul. What? I thought that was exclusive for mankind. No, see it in Scripture. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. This is the Father referring to the Son. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. We see Jesus with soul. Matthew 26, 38. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me, Jesus' prayer before he went to the cross. The soul of our Lord and Savior. The depth of the Lord's soul, we could go through so many passages. As a matter of fact, the word soul appears 475 times in the Bible, referring to the soul of man, the soul of God, good things about the soul, things that we need to protect or be warned about regarding the soul, but so many. And so today I want to try to give a definition and some understanding about the the aspect of our soul. And how then do we love God with all of our soul? The depth of God's soul, you see it as as one that is pleased. He's pleased at the soul. He's sorrowful. He's angry with the wicked. He groans in the soul. He's jealous over over our, our affections of our heart. He loves with the depth of soul. Well, what about man's soul? Well, we know that we have, we have a soul because God breathed life into this dust figure that he created called Adam, who was simply a claymation until God breathed life into him. And then man became a living soul. Blood starts pumping. And now Adam has has life. Adam has desires. Adam now has personality. Adam has this very being. And as a matter of fact, he even has a, a will in whether he will love God, worship God for who God is, or do his own thing. But man became a living soul. Man was made by God, for God, and to need God. It's a significant statement. Because God, the Creator, designed us 
fashioned us the way he wanted us to be, gave you the very physical appearance that you have on the outside, but fashioned even the soulish component of you. You have a personality, you have a will, you have desires that are different than the person sitting next to you, and that's okay. It's supposed to be this way. And what happens is when we get disconnected from God, we often go into destructive behaviors. Jesus asked Stephen the question of what would man give in exchange for his soul? Kind of dictates the value that we esteem to the soul. We find in Scripture that the soul takes on different struggles. We find in Luke chapter 12, the covetous soul, where a man was in conflict because he wanted Jesus to resolve the family conflict regarding him and his brothers over an inheritance. Well, I want to make sure I get my share. So now you've got family conflict. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced this. But what was at the depth of the problem, he had a covetous soul, and that's what Jesus addressed with him. Because at the end of the day, what he really, really wanted was, I want this inheritance and I want my share because I want to sit down and eat, drink, and be merry and be at ease in my soul. And Jesus challenged him for his covetous soul. There's a bitterness of soul we see in Hebrews chapter 12 that this root of bitterness springs up and troubles many. There's the vexed soul of 2 Peter chapter 2 that's referring to Lot in the Old Testament. That in seeing and hearing, he vexed his righteous soul. And that word sounds weird to vex something. It sounds like, ah, this witch thing, it's doing something to him. But vexing means that he literally, after seeing and hearing and being in the position of sin and all the things going on around him, he could not see righteousness anymore. He adapted so much to it, it, it literally darkened his soul. In the New Testament, we might see this as grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Peter warns in 1 Peter about the fleshly lust that war against the soul because it leads us into a direction away from God and potentially destructive. The enemy is always seeking to oppress or to destroy the soul. Jesus called him out on it and said, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What does he want? The soul. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave warning of that. Hey, you, don't worry about the one who can take your body. It's the one who wants your soul. That's the one that matters. Because why? Because God has designed the soul. He breathed life into it. And we are completely designed by God to worship and to love God. That is why we exist. And the devil wants to swing that away and go in a direction that becomes self-absorbed, self-consumed, so that we don't do that. And you think about what's taking place in the way that um, when we steer away from God's design and the destructiveness of that, and we want to then reshape what God has done, fashion the, refashion the exterior, and even change the identity of what God's designed us to be. And it becomes very destructive. But I can tell you this, your soul is designed to live forever somewhere. Every person in this room and on this planet, your soul will live forever somewhere. 
Now you think about this, the person who's absent from the body and present with the Lord, as the way uh, uh, the Apostle Paul described that, is someone who has by faith trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. So the second they take your last breath on this planet, you're in the presence of God. Well, I say you're in the presence. Well, you don't get your glorified body till later, but your soul is in the presence of God. And the spiritual aspect of you is in the very presence of God. Well, what about the individual who goes away from God and goes to hell? Well, they go to the place of torment. Well, what's being tormented? The soul. It's the very essence of who you are. Your being goes to a place of eternal torment separate from God. Why? Because you reject the Savior. God offered His only begotten Son to pay your sin debt that you couldn't pay yourself. And when we say no thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ and His payment for our sin debt and His resurrection from the grave, when we say no thanks to that, I got it, I'll figure it all out. I don't believe that that's true. Then God says He separates. He said forever. You're cast in, the, the soul is then cast away. But we see God is the deliverer. God delivers our soul from our enemies. In the book of Psalms, chapter 55, verse 18, says, he, he has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. In, in chapter 116, he said, Then I called upon the name of the Lord. Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Begging for God and asking God here for deliverance from the enemy. The soul has an appetite. Every one of us in this room, we have appetites at the soulish level. Psalm 42 directs that and says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. But is that not a, a competition spot in our life? We're supposed to desire the sincere milk of the Word of God, but our desires get off course, maybe by seemingly a degree or more than a degree. When our desires get out of bounds, out of whack with God, and we're out of alignment, then what happens? It's we fleshly lust that war against the soul, appetites that are contrary to God's direction for our life. And it's bound oftentimes in the small decisions. This isn't just monumental moments. These are in the small things that the soulish concepts or soulish decisions we make every day. How will you spend your time? What you choose to buy. These are things that satisfy the soul. What we watch, what we listen to. We already learned for a lot in seeing and hearing and seeing and hearing and seeing and hearing. Day in and day out in a place called Sodom, eventually it vexed his soul. So to say it doesn't matter means we're smarter than the Bible. We think we are. Our soul makes decisions moment by moment of what is it that makes you anxious? What makes you joyful? What excites you? What disappoints you? Who we associate with and who we admire. Unfortunately, we are apt to settle for the shadow of God as opposed to God himself, meaning the idea of the Lord. We like the idea of God and his presence and his power and his provision and his place of heaven, that we will be with him forever. We, the idea of that sounds really appealing, but the reality is we settle for the shadow 
but not the person himself. We love what God has said, but maybe not love God himself. In other words, it's easier to pursue intellect and information and be able to even regurgitate all that than it is to actually have a passionate love for God. So what does this soulish component in my life look like? It's to align my desires, my will, my emotions, my life, my soul with God's soul. Sometimes our, our desires don't always get matched to the way we make the request, don't they? Remember when David, good grief, a man after God's own heart, he's templated after God in terms of his desires, it seems. His passion, I want to build the temple for you, God. And God says, no, you're not going to build the temple. Your son Solomon will build the temple instead. Did David pout? After all I've done for you, God, and my whole life's a sham? No. That was the will of the Lord, and David agreed, yielded to the will of God. I think about Paul, who, good grief, he's a missionary. He's sold out of everything. He's, he's given himself over and over, city by city, to go preach. And no matter what the occasion and whatever happens or befalls him on the path, and he desired to go to Asia to preach the gospel. And God said, no, don't go to Asia. I want you to go to Europe. And God redirected his steps and sent him to Europe instead. Does that mean God didn't want Asia to ever know the gospel? No, God had a different time and a different person and a different, uh, different way that the gospel was going to go to Asia. But God redirected his steps. What was Paul's approach? Wherever God sends me, that's where I go. I think about Paul asking for God to remove an infirmity of his flesh, something that was troubling him in his body. And he said, I asked the Lord for this three times. But God's answer was this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That was God's answer. My grace is sufficient for you. Well, what was Paul's answer? Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That is a soul connected, a will that's connected to the will of God. And sometimes when God says, no, this is the provision I'm going to make for you. This is the direction I have for you. This is the plan that I have for you. And it may not look exactly like the request I'm making. And so God then through prayer guides and directs our heart and our step. And the question is, do we surrender our soul to the way of God or our own way? The soul is designed to trust in God. Psalm 57 says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. We sang that song a few minutes ago about hiding under the shadow of God's wings because that's the safe place. Why would we be under his wing? Because we trust him. The soul desires to testify of God's goodness. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what He has done for my soul. Can you testify today what God has done for your soul? 
We get opportunities for this all the time. It's beautiful to come together into small group environments, community groups, Bible studies, and pose the question of what is God, do, what is God doing in your life? What has God done that we can celebrate that? Or what has God done for your soul? When it may be that God's restored your soul, He's strengthened your soul, He may have delivered your soul from a trouble. But you know, oftentimes when we come together, we don't have a lot to say, do we? Why is that? Is it because we don't rec reflect on what God's doing? We're so private? We're concerned that maybe we're going to say the wrong thing? We might reveal some level of weakness? But the soul connected to God's soul can't wait to testify of what God is doing and how God has worked at the soul level. What has He done for my soul? God redeemed, he's the redeemer of the soul from the grave. We just sang about that, Psalm 49, 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me, Selah. We know that God is the restorer of the soul. We, most of us know Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And he does what? He restores my what? My soul. How does he do that? Well, He revives our soul and He does it through the power of His Word. He does it through the power of the Holy Spirit. He works in our lives. Psalm 119, 28 says, My soul melts from heaviness. Have you ever been there? Where you just feel like your heart is shattered and you're melting. How does God revive that? How does He restore that? How does He strengthen it according to His Word? Because His Word is power. His Word is His actual voice. In the same way that He breathed life into Adam and Adam became a living soul, God breathes the Word into our lives and He strengthens us through His promises. He strengthens us through the, the truth that He's given and the reality of our salvation. He strengthens us by the presence of His Holy Spirit so we know that God is with us. He comforts us with this love. Last week we talked about how God seated on the throne of our heart. And what does He do? He helps us to comprehend the incomprehensible of the breadth, length, depth, and height of the love of God, that we might know what is not even knowable when it comes to the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. How does this work? That your soul can be all right when everything else is wrong. Everything's wrong. The world's messed up. Things happening in your own life, in your work, your families. There's things all around you that are messed up. But your soul's okay. How can that be? Because of the strength, the power of God, and your soul connected to God's soul. Jesus spoke, spoke a parable in regards to the soul. It's a parable of seed. He speaks of this about the seed being the Word of God and how the Word of God being dispensed on different types of soil and ground and the impact that it has. We know the seed is good. But the ground is always different based on where it's been cast. He talks about this hard soil. When he describes a hard soil, the seed cannot penetrate to get any root development. It just blows away. I know I'm speaking today to mostly Christ followers in this room, but this can be a condition of heart for both a Christian 
any non-Christian. Because even as a Christ follower, when we are not aligned with God's heart and God's soul, these things can happen in our life where the soil of our heart can get pretty hard. How does this happen? Through hurts, disappointments. We might grow cynical, bitter, suspicious. And underneath that crusty surface is actually kind of the driver here. It's the aggregate of the concrete, if you would. It's the fear. Because there's a fear in being hurt, maybe looking foolish or broken in pride. You think about like a, a, a Cain and Abel story in the Old Testament where Abel brings the offering to the Lord that was the required offering. And Cain brings his own and wanting to establish his own way. Through his jealousy and anger with his brother, who all his brother was doing, all Abel did was he did what the Word of God says do. And his brother hated him for it. Did Abel do something wrong? No. His brother despised him for his righteousness. That's a hard heart. And the Lord even appealed back to Cain and said, Cain, if you'll, if you'll just do the right thing here, you'll be accepted. And Cain would not. The word was dispensed to a hardened heart, and you get to see it in, right out of the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, and he would not yield. Before we ever even make it out of the book of Genesis, we see the hardness of Joseph's brothers. When they were willing to sell their brother out to slave traders, be off with him, be done with this guy. Why? They were jealous over him because of his relationship with dad, because he got the special coat, this outward identity that constantly made it seem like he's the favorite, he's the chosen one, he gets everything. And they despised him for it. They were so resentful of him. When Joseph told about his dreams, instead of embracing the fact that God's doing something in this man's life, we better pay attention. They hated him for those dreams. They were so jealous of him. That's a hard heart. That's a hard soul. It's the way the Pharisees, though they were perfect when it came to the word, it seemed, they knew the word, the Old Testament, the law, they had that thing down and they wanted to keep it just right. What they missed was the God of the Bible. They just had all about His words. I think about this when it comes to hurts and disappointments and pains. How does the hard soil ever get soft enough to receive seed if that's your life story? I've seen people in many times in my life They've been hurt by churches. I was visiting with another pastor about that this week, in fact. We call it church hurt. Many of you can relate to this. You've had church hurt. For a variety of reasons, it happens. When you hold church hurt up here at churchy level, denomination level, it's never personified. So how do you forgive that? So how does this soil that's hard become soft? How does there ever forgiveness that's ever reality? Write names down. Write the names of those that hurt. 
Well, why would I do that? Because that's who you need to forgive. Because often we say, well, the church hurt me. No, they didn't. There's all these people here that have never inflicted any pain. That's not a true statement. But we shroud in that, and sometimes that becomes then the thing that we can never get free from because there's no one really to ever forgive. And so it's, we, we're stuck in a, in, a, in a very hard spot. Never lose perspective. The seed, this seed is powerful. The seed of the Word is super powerful and it's strong. All of us have probably seen this, where the seed that somehow made its way into a crevice in a sidewalk takes root and eventually grows so strong it blows up the sidewalk. Because it only takes just a crack, a hint of a space of tenderness for that seed to make its way in and make all the difference and break up the hard heart, the hard soul. Jesus described the shallow, where the topsoil is real thin, there's no way for roots to go down, but the plant can spring up, it seems, quickly, but as soon as the sun comes out, it gets scorched. Jesus described this as the cares of the world choked it. The superficial, the self-absorbed, the stingy. The superficial have it all down with the talents and the intellect, and they know how to look good in the moment. Everything always is fine. It's veneered Christianity because everything's always fine. But it's all superficial. Internally, we know it's not true, but outside it looks fine. Often could even regurgitate Bible information. It's really easy. But it doesn't mean we know the God of the Bible. We just know information. The self-absorbed can only think of the things that impact that individual. The word self is key. Because self is a very uh, consumed part of our culture. We are geared to think self first, and then if we have anything left, we go out from there. But if I have nothing left in my tank, we're done. When the Bible speaks the exact opposite. Self-absorption takes place in marriages. I think about this often, and where do you, how do you soften this? It's the attitude of gratitude, the contentment in those things which you have. Because all of a sudden, Whatever the provision the Lord has made, I'm really thankful, whether it's the job, it's the sometimes we end up working extended hours to accomplish the task, that it allows us to do the other things that we need to do. And does any of that ever get out of bounds? Yeah, probably. But there's also the aspect here, guys, of, of being appreciative and content with the things that God has made and given to us. Self-absorption always sees through the lens of how this is impacting me. Does it creep in even in the church? Oh, you better bet it does. Because why? Well, you can even have any kind of ministry and Bible study, and the soulish one that's out of alignment, well, first words will be is, well, I don't see what's in it for me. Or I've already been through that study. I don't need that one. Well, maybe you've been through that study, and now, quite frankly, what would be really helpful if you'd come and minister to somebody else who's going through that study, because it's not just about you. It's about the ministry that God's giving to you. See, we do this often. We, we lose perspective of self, in our self-absorption. 
Stinginess can do this as well because we find it hard to empathize with others. But we learn here the depth of God's soul. Because God is not stingy. God gave up himself. God is the one who is not superficial, but allows us to look into the very depth. That's why we do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Our Savior can completely identify with everything that we go through and completely understand He is not superficial. So how does this get tenderized? Attitude of gratitude, giving thanks, empathy with others, reaping back the veneer and being honest. Jesus described the entangled soul where the seed goes in and it lands among the thorns and thistles and then it just gets choked. By what? The, the worries and the cares of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the worldly appetites. We live in a very entangled world. Why is that? Because of just progress and performance. It's entangling. Because we're always trying to live up to the expectations of others and, and perform at some level that everybody would be satisfied with. If we find satisfaction sometimes in the, in the esteem of others and how we imagine that people will be appreciating or speaking well of us in our absence. The rich young ruler was one that came to Jesus asking about eternal life and Jesus told him to go sell all you have and give it to the poor. Well, is that the, is that the pathway to salvation is get rid of all your stuff? Well, no, Jesus was addressing the soulish heart of the matter for this guy, and that is he loved his stuff. His desire was, I want to know I'm going to heaven, but I want to live the rest of my days on earth in total cush. And I want to have everything. I want it all. I want all the world offers, and I want heaven too. I the package deal. And Jesus, not interested. Go, why don't you go sell everything that you have? And get rid of it all. We associate busy with progress or success. If we're not busy, we feel guilty. We feel like we're letting life slip by. We feel like we're getting lazy and now we're not performing at the level that it would be expected around us. There's an external emphasis put on everything that seems measurable. How many, how many, how many, how many? And we constantly ask these questions. So how do you disentangle from that? The Word of God teaches that no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Our Lord Jesus Christ has chosen us to be soldiers. And so how do we please him? We start with the why question. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Sometimes I'll tell you this has been some of the best internal counsel that I could give myself. <laughs> and it's probably been posed by others and I've just stolen their idea and gave it to myself. But asking the why. Why are you doing this? Is it really to please the Lord or is it for some other reason? Because you'll, you'll receive something from other people. You'll be appreciated by that. You'll get the applause of men. I remember years ago when one of my kids 
was in Awana or something, I think, and they had to memorize lots of Bible verses. Well, that's a great thing. Memorizing Bible is a wonderful thing, and I hope your kids memorize the whole Bible. But I remember at the depth of my soul, recognizing one day, I like how it felt when I was affirmed for how my child performed. And I remember then walking away from that later and analyzing the why. Why am I wanting my kid to really memorize the Word of God? Well, of course I want them to learn the Word so they, the Word is hidden in their heart so they will not sin against the Lord. Yes, I, of course I would say that. But the deeper why, let's peel that one layer under. The bigger why was, I liked it when my kids went to church and I got affirmed for the fact my kids could memorize all the verses. It was a performance thing. It was driving my soulish components of me. So I had to start with this question of why am I doing, what am I doing? Is it to please the Lord or ultimately to please me? If we want to tenderize this soil, they ask the why question. To find this fertile ground, which is the next thing that Jesus talked about, was the place where that seed went in. It was tender, it was cultivated, the seed grew up, and it bore much fruit. Can you take hard soil? Can you take entangled soil? Can any of that soil become tender? in a place where the word can be received? Yes. But this is why we talk about alignment. Because sometimes we can get off course thinking that our hearts are tender, and maybe they're not. We can think our attitude is right, when actually it's off by just a bit. We can think we're going straight, when we're actually a degree off course. And God knows the state of our soul. And to love God then with all of my soul, what does that actually mean? That I would desire God. I would desire to know God Himself, not just about Him, and not just to associate with the people who also know about God, but that I want God. That's what I want. And I want to not only know God, and to, but to do God's will, and to know what is the will, that I would walk in that. And whatever is not, I would leave those things away and walk away from that because I want to be aligned to God's Word in my character and in my conduct. So I want to align myself with God's mission, with God's purpose. That I would align myself to please Him who called me out to be a soldier. And so my question today is, are you in alignment with the Lord when it comes to loving God with all of your soul? Is there some part of your soul you're holding back for you? You know, I love that there's so many ways that God calls us into fellowship and into relationship. And as I conclude this morning, I want to I have a perfect object lesson. Because today we, we have a baptism we're going to go outside for here in just a moment. Gibson Metters gave testimony of accepting Jesus Christ as his Savior a while back. And now, in an alignment, this is what alignment looks like. 
The Word of God says, based on what Jesus Christ has done, Jesus Christ baptized. Did He need to be baptized as to demonstrate His salvation? No, He's the Savior. So all who followed after Christ were baptized in open identification with the Savior. And so now Gibson has received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, therefore he desires to be baptized, publicly demonstrating to everyone an open identity with Jesus Christ the Lord. In the same manner as Christ was baptized, he will follow in that. It's an incredible illustration of being buried in the likeness of Christ's death and being raised to walk in newness of life in a resurrection. It's an incredible picture of that. But also there's an identity and an alignment when it comes to local church because God's passion for reaching the nations and His ministry is always through local church. We are the body of Christ and members in particular, and God puts people in the body as it pleases Him. That's His alignment. He placed you here because this is where God wants to utilize your, your talents and gifts and abilities that He's given to you. And in an alignment with that, you say, well, yes, I, I agree with this church and the statement of faith and its mission and its purpose because this is the place God put me. And I want to I serve here. And so Gibson is also one that is coming today to say, I, I want to I commit to one community church to be a part of this church. Now, he's been here for a while and has been serving and helping us set up and tear down and getting involved with students and all. That's wonderful. It's how you sometimes figure out this is the right home and family for you. But today I want to welcome Gibson as a member of One Community Church. And this is, his, this is his beginning day for that. And in a minute we're going to go outside and watch him bear witness of his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and coming into a saving faith with Christ. But here's the question for any of you. What's your next step? Is your next step to... Trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and begin a relationship of alignment with Christ. And this is the day. Because right now, if you're not saved, meaning you're not in a relationship with the Lord, you're going in an opposite direction of God. And God is calling unto you to turn from sin, turn to Jesus, turn to the Savior, and be aligned with Christ. Is is there another step in your life? A faith step. I need to publicly identify with Christ and be baptized. If so, let's talk about that. Let's plan that. We want to celebrate that with you. Is it a time for you to align yourself with a local church and and get committed to the mission and the gospel message of, of one community church? And if it's not this one, then which one? Where is God directing your steps where you're going to utilize your time, talents, and treasures that God's given for the purpose of advancing the gospel? Is this it? Is there a ministry God's calling you to? Caleb mentioned an opportunity today. Are there, and there's so many, countless opportunities to engage in God's mission. Are there things going on in your heart today that I may have touched on when it comes to the soulish component of the soils? There's action steps that God prompted you for today that might be, it might be writing down a name that I need to forgive that person because I'm in bondage till I do. Maybe it's the tenderizing that heart aspect here a little bit by by showing gratitude and being thankful. Maybe it's through engaging in the things that God would have us to engage in. What is it that God's placed on your heart today 
that is a step of faith in an alignment with the Lord. I invite you to bow your heads with me and contemplate that. And if you have an action step that needs to be made, I'd love to talk to you about it. We have others that will be glad to share in that with you. We make the, a communication vehicle very easy in this church. You can just come tell me to my face if you want. Or even on that card that's in your bulletin, you can mark on your card, this is what I'm... I'd like to visit with you about this. And you drop that card in the box and we'll get connected to you at another time so we can sit down and process what God's doing in your life and how can we assist? How can we pray? What's the next step? Father, I pray that you would guide us in this moment for your glory. Draw us close to you in relationship. Dear Father, I pray this morning that you would prompt us by the, by the Holy Spirit for salvation for those that need to be saved today, that would trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that for all of us, our hearts would align with your heart that our soul would be connected to your soul, Lord, and, and our direction, our will, our desires, our appetites would be 100% aligned with you. Lord, thank you for giving us your truth, giving us a place to gather, giving us a, a platform we get to sing from to be able to proclaim the, the name of Jesus. And we praise you for that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.